I'm Elena Lansberg-Lewis, your host of Grandmothers on the Move, the podcast that kicks old stereotypes to the curb. Come meet these creative, outrageous, authentic, adventurous, irreverent, and powerful disruptors and influencers. Grandmothers, from the living room to the courtroom, making powerful contributions in every walk of life. We know them most intimately as loving caregivers, the older women in our lives with a thousand stories about their grandchildren and pictures in their purses. In this podcast, you'll come to know even more about our grandmothers. They are galvanized, determined, and are guaranteed to get you thinking. What drives them? What are they up to? What is the potential of grandmother power, and how is it changing the world? Grandmothers are on the move. You don't want to be left behind. Hi, it's Ilana. Welcome back to Grandmothers on the Move. I'm looking forward to introducing you to someone I'm very proud to call a friend, Carol Adrians. And amongst many talents, Carol is an educator and the mastermind of amazing cause-oriented events. Carol, welcome. It's wonderful to have you. Thank you. You are originally South African and you came here in the 70s, I understand, and it was a self-imposed exile from South Africa. I wondered if yeah. you could share with us how it felt to come here intentionally and leave the country of your birth? I really had to start with my parents. It was a really unique story. My mother was a white mother mixed with French and Jewish and my father had a mixture of Malaysian and African. So they were married for 45 years, mind you, but it was a very, very turbulent and <laughs> but yet exciting marriage. They loped from Cape Town when my mother got pregnant with my first brother and her sisters decided to this owner, really. So we eventually went back to Cape Town to live. And my dad and his father, my opa, you know, bought properties next to each other. And dad owned about 14 acres of land. And my grandfather owned 10. So there was a huge land that we owned. And then the Group Areas Act that came into force in 1950, created by the apartheid government of South Africa at the time, assigned racial groups to different residential and business sections in these areas. So apartheid, you know, is a system of legalized racial segregation that was enforced by this government between 1948 to 1994. So actually with the expropriation of our land, these people came in and bulldozed our homes and offered my father 40,000 rand, which was the equivalent of 3,700 Canadian dollars at the time. There was really no reason for us to stick around. And so that's why we all gravitated towards different parts of the world. So did you come to Canada eventually where you landed with your whole family? No, my eldest brother's name is Hil- was Yilma. He passed away last June. He danced for the University of Cape Town Ballet School. I mean, he was passionate about dance. And in 1961, a team of Sadler's Wells Royal Ballet School visited the Cape Town University Dance School. And they pointed him out and wanted him to come to the Royal Ballet to dance. He was only 19 at the time, but there was a condition that the South African government put on him to say that, yes, he can go, but because it was going to be a free scholarship for four to six years, but he would have to come back to South Africa to teach. And my father then said, no, he would not accept that. And he then somehow 
somehow gathered funds together and he paid for Hilma's training at the Royal Ballet. He danced there for many, many years with Dame Margaret Fontaine and of course Rudolf Nureyev. So he lived in the UK. My other brother emigrated to Canada as a teacher and has never returned to South Africa and will never return because it really affected him the apartheid era. And then there was myself, but uh, my mother was a midwife and my father was a principal of a school. And, and how uh, old were you when the family left? I left when I was 18 and I went to the UK first. How did you end up working in event planning and education? I'm interested to hear from you how you've put together your passion for progressive politics and social right. change and social justice with the kind of work that you do. It's a very, very interesting question. I worked for the province of Ontario as program advisor and protocol officer. And actually, in 1991, I was part of a royal team of 24 individuals who actually coordinated the visit to the province of Ontario of Prince and Princess of Wales, Diane and Charles, and Prince Harry and William joined them. So after that, in 1997, on Sunday, February the 9th, 1997, you're going to be surprised about this, a girlfriend of mine invited me to an event in Toronto by the Toronto Hadassah Women for Women group. I was most eager to attend the event because there were three speakers who I really wanted to hear. And it was Joan Grant Cummings, Michelle Landsberg. Oh, how about that? <laughs> yes. And Camelia Freeberg. It was unbelievable. Till today, I still have the program. I held on to it. And I said to my girlfriend, Rena, I can do this. You know? And I wrote in there, if I am not myself, who am I? If not now, when? And I read it the other day when, when I got an email from you. And I thought, my goodness, look at this, you know. So that's how South African Women for Women started, actually, from going to that event. How did that inspire you to start? this special project. Well, I just saw all these, you know, these Jewish women and what they were doing and how they were reaching out to other women and, you know, and I thought, wow, I knew that I had a gift and I knew that I wanted to help and empower women in Africa and South Africa. And so I started this event by annually having a gala every August. For 18 years, I did that. It was an awards gala, but it was based on celebrating South African Women's Day. So on August the 9th, 1956, 20,000 women from all kinds of South African society converged onto the Union buildings in Pretoria to see the, the then Prime Minister. They were great personal cost and in the face of considered official obstruction, the women came to voice opposition to the government's decision to extend the hated past laws to women. It was an historic and moving occasion. All gatherings in Pretoria were banned that day. So the women walked to the Union buildings in groups of never more than three. All Pretoria was filled with women wearing these green and black Congress blouses and the brilliant colors of the saris. There were 14,000 petitions left at the doors of the Prime Minister's office. And these women just stood silently for 30 minutes and then just started singing a protest song that was composed in honor of the occasion. And in Kwasai it says, Watinzi Abafazi, Watinzi Mbokodo. Now you have touched the woman. You have struck a rock. Right. And uh, that's, uh, you know, the difference that women made in South Africa. That's really, so, new, yeah. really powerful. And so you yeah. ran this gala evening for 18 years to raise awareness and, and raise funds to support South African women? Yes. 
what we did with South African Women for Women, we would invite South African women from all over the world, from Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, UK, Canada, who have really opened up doors and faced the struggle in South Africa. And with this gala, there were five programs that we supported. Of course, there was the Archbishop Desmond Tutu Scholarship Fund. So we would educate women in South Africa. And we also had adopt a student program where we would send uniforms and educational supplies to them. We had a health initiative program. This was one program I was very proud of. The other program that we had set up was the microfinancing fund. It just empowered them to look after their families and to have a business of their own. So that was another program which was quite touching. Yeah, really remarkable. Yeah. And yeah. so I want to turn to, to grandmotherhood for a moment. I follow you on Facebook and I see that you're, like every grandmother I speak to, besotted with the grandchildren and involved with them. And I wondered if you would tell us about your recent trip to South Africa and why you made it and why it mattered to you to have your grandchildren with you in that way. You know, being South Africa, I mean, there's so much one can tell people about it, but if you don't really go there and experience it all, it's just, you know, you just have to. And I've got six grandsons, no granddaughters. And my son and daughter, they wanted to visit South Africa. And it was very, very challenging for me to go because I had a huge event. I flew from Toronto to Cape Town for four days on the ground. <laughs> I still can't believe I did it, but I did it. <laughs> I can't either. And I, I, I just had to do it because to get six boys there plus my own children you know it's such a blessing such an opportunity such a privilege to have my immediate family there it was quite an experience which I'll never forget and then of course you know my son and daughter wanted to go on to the land where I just told you about where the South African government took over this land right and so all the boys we walked on the land we took pictures there were five houses on that piece of property and I'm going back to that because it never leaves you. There were five houses on that property and there were four mixed race families and there was one family, a white woman, lived on the one side. And so the bulldozers got rid of all four houses uh, and said that they were going to put something else up. Till this day, nothing else is on that land except the one house where the white lady lived and she's still there. Their family's still there. For goodness sake. Yeah, yeah. So Mm -hmm. I had to point all that out to the boys so they were just you know, when they heard all this history. But on the brighter side of things, going up to Table Mountain, oh my gosh, they were just thrilled to have pictures taken, you know, with their grandmother. And it was unbelievable, quite an experience. And how did it feel to share that history and your relationship, as complex as it is, to the place? How did it feel to share it with the kids? Well, you know, I believe that the boys' experience and my son and daughter, you know, they experienced a deep connection with their heritage and as well just seeing the education of other children you know South Africa what they experienced daily you know my father taught uh, was a principal of the school and so we took them to the school to visit the current principal there my father's pictures are on the wall and we went into his office and Jaden the eldest son went like oh my god you know again so run down the schools and the computers are about 15 years old that they couldn't believe it it was quite something for them to see 
And yeah. you know, and I've talked to a lot of grandmothers about their relationship with their grandchildren. And one of the things that, that a lot of women talk about is that continuity, that sense of belonging, that history that grandmothers bring back into the family narrative and how important that is. Yes, absolutely. You know, if you look at Africa and you see what's happened with HIV AIDS and how the parents have died off and you get the children and the grandmothers who have to step in and take care of the children. It's unbelievable the strength of these grandmothers, you know, how we just, we just do it. You know, you have to do it. You know, you have to step in. And I think it's so powerful to see grandmothers getting together and doing what we know best. It's quite powerful. Absolutely. And to come back to Toronto, when you're doing your work here, and now as an educator, as well as doing these events that are fundamentally political events, has that changed for you? over the years as you yourself step into this role? Oh, definitely, yes. As an immigrant, Canada is amazing and it's been exceptionally good to me and this really is my home now. But you never, ever forget your roots. You know, Africa is such an incredible continent. You never forget that. And what your parents have instilled in you and you come and you share it here. And I've been blessed and very fortunate and I'm very grateful knowing that I have that gift to reach out to others and to empower other women. It's always been my great satisfaction out of, you know, just helping other women. So with my work, I'm very cause-oriented. So I have to believe in what I'm doing. And so all of the events that I do, Ilana, there's got to be something that I can give back to make somebody else feel better and do better. And that's what I teach my boys. It's all about teaching them as well how to treat women and their mothers and grandmother. And yes, it's quite a learning experience for both of us. (laughs) Well, and I guess that brings me to something that I often end with when I have these conversations, which is to ask what you think would happen, what you think might change if the world or even our own community listened to grandmothers. If we just reached out to one another and showed respect and love and listened to what is being said, start embracing one another, this world would be so different. Things have changed so drastically in the last few years. And I see the world going in such a crazy circle that, you know, one sort of thinks, oh my goodness, what next? What's going to happen? What happened to the old age, you know? Mm -hmm. But we need a lot more love and understanding. There's a saying in my country, well, a lot of people use it here now, Ubuntu, which means humanity. It's often translated as I am because we are and also humanity towards others. I mean, Ubuntu, if we had that amongst us all, we would be a completely different species in this world. Grandmothers seem to be able to, and I learned this from the African grandmothers that I've had the privilege to work with, seem to be able to talk about love as a motivational force, as a political force, as an impetus for social change. Grandmothers talk about love in a very serious and powerful way. That's the backbone of Africa and those grandmothers. I mean, that's how we were raised. Without love, what is there? And they do it so well, Ilana. You know, it's all about family, all about caring, all about taking care of the family. 
with very little to work with. I mean, we love caring for our younger ones because they are the future. They are the future of this world. And what you're doing is unbelievable to really embrace grandmothers. It's fantastic. Oh, thank you. And it's such a privilege and an honor to work with grandmothers and to hear from them. The belief of the grandmother is it's a universal bond of sharing. Grandmothers are there constantly to show them, to bond with the families and with their grandchildren. That's yeah. what we do. And you're a perfect example of how you do it so well, Carol. Thank you so much for sharing this time with me and sharing your story and history. It was wonderful to hear. No, thank you for doing this. I'm so pleased and so grateful that at least somebody has thought of what do grandmothers do? What is their role? Embracing these grandmothers is unbelievable. Thank oh. you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. I'm Ilana Landsberg-Lewis, your host of Grandmothers on the Move. If you want to find out more about me or the podcast, go to grandmothersonthemove.com and come back next week for another episode.